Good morning. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed the big Christmas tree downtown in front of the, the courthouse? It is everywhere. Have you noticed Elena Evans? I uh, should say that. Elena loves Christmas. She's not the only one. A lot of us wear red this time of year uh, because it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. The signs and the symbols are everywhere. For the next three weeks, I want us to talk about some of the images that happened when Jesus came to earth in the form of a baby. The incarnation is such a, uh, an important doctrine of Scripture. And I'm glad that we can spend a couple of weeks focusing on this. We're going to look at next week, the manger. Folks, there's a whole lot more than just a feeding trough and why the newborn baby was put in a manger. And then after that, we're going to talk about the wise men, the magi. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about them, but the Bible does tell us about them. Why? Why were they so important that we need to know that? that that detail was put in Scripture. We're going to talk about that. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about angels. But before we read about the angels in the birth narrative, I want us to understand what does the Bible tell us about angels? And I think that's the right place to start because we probably have an understanding of angels that is not from Scripture. In fact, it's probably from movies or TV or other symbols that we have, especially this time of year. Maybe you think of Clarence. Look on the screen. You remember Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life? Angel second class. Remember he was trying to get his wings? You remember that? When you think of angels, you shouldn't be thinking of Clarence because that's not exactly the way the Bible depicts it. So maybe you think of a chubby cheek children. We kind of have that image and art, and it continues to this day. A few years ago, there was a TV miniseries called The Bible. I think it was a little more accurate. When we just sang that song, he could have called 10,000 angels. It's not 10,000 Clarences or 10,000 chubby cheek children. It was something to be fearful of, something that could destroy the world as the line in that song goes. And that's what it's talking about there. Look at the next screen there. You see there, this is the images from that miniseries. If you watch that, you probably remember that. Not this white, uh, uh, innocent-looking uh, sweetness, but instead an image of something to be afraid of. There was one review that talked about the scene where the three appear to Abraham. That's two of them at the top of the screen there. It says, Jesus makes a pre-incarnate cameo, and two ninja Jedi angels kick butt. Because if you've seen the movie, you realize those angels were sent to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we don't think of angels and destroy in the same sentence, but it's true. I mean, that's where the Bible depicts it. And so we got to make sure we go back to what does the Bible say about angels? I've come to believe that this miniseries might be more in line with the Bible teaching than some of our more toned down or, or rated G images we may have in our mind. The truth is the Bible doesn't tell us specifically what angels look like. So that's why we just have to conjure up what they would look like. But the Bible does tell us that the Lord uses these special people, these special angels, not really people, these angels to, to be his messengers at just the right time. Jerry Duggan did a class on a Wednesday night 
in quite detail about angels. And if you're a part of that, you were uh, benefited from his study and what he shared. I don't have time to go through all of that, but I do want to share a little bit about what the Bible tells us about angels. We learned in Matthew 22 that angels are created beings. Uh, They're not given in marriage. In fact, in Scripture, all the angels mentioned in the Bible have male names. In fact, in the original languages, they always appear in the masculine sense. Angels are spiritual beings, although they can take on human forms. And we learn in the Bible there's all different types of angels. Angels served as protectors. Maybe you think about that, Psalm 91, verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. The Bible does not use the phrase guardian angel, but that concept is thought to come from Matthew 18, 10. Jesus says, see that you did not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Angels are not to be prayed to. Only God is worthy of our prayers. Angels are not to be worshipped. In the book of Revelation, John reveals that an angel appeared to him and he bowed down to worship. And the angel corrected him and said, no. So they are not to be worshipped. And you don't know when you might encounter one. You're familiar with Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. It's also good to know that In the grand scheme of things, angel appearances are quite rare. Now, in the birth narrative, there's several, and they're pretty close together. But in the scheme of creation from beginning till today, in all of of history, it's just a handful of times, really, where angels appear. They were destroying angels in the Bible, and very often that's why you see the people afraid. But angels typically were delivering some type of message some kind of message from God to help the person or the people to understand what's happening in their situation. So in the next few weeks, you're going to see symbols or caricatures of figurines of angels everywhere, on front lawns and nativity sets and children's plays, maybe in movies, uh, malls. You probably won't see them on I-65 as you're going to and from Nashville. But you're going to see them everywhere. And here's the challenge. Whenever you see an image or a figurine of an angel, be reminded that God is at work unfolding his plan. Maybe you've heard the perspective that life is like looking at a tapestry, that at times for for us, we see the backside of a tapestry where we see the colors and maybe sometimes a bit of the pattern, but we also see the jumbled up knots and we don't see it all perfectly, but God sees it on the reverse side the eternal side, and he sees it all perfectly coming together, that every thread, every color serves a purpose. Throughout biblical times, even today, there are plenty of moments when all you see are those jumbled up knots, and you're not sure what's going on. There were some of those times in the Bible where God allowed an angel to clarify his purpose. The people at that time needed a word from God. God. So God would send his angel and say, here's what you need to know. This is what you need to understand. We see that repeatedly in the incarnation. Angel appearance after angel appearance after angel appearance because this was a key moment, biggest moment in the history God was becoming flesh, and the people involved needed to know 
exactly how it was all going to pan out. In Luke 1, we read about God sending an angel, Gabriel, to a virgin named Mary, who was placed to be married to a man named Joseph. Look on the screen. Follow along with me. Luke 1, verse 28. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, just like we see in so many appearances of an angel, well, the first thing the angel said was, do not be afraid. Because again, the appearance of an angel would be something to strike fear. And for good reason, we understand that. But I want to send in on the phrase that Mary says, how will this be? Remember, that's what she said to the angel. How will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Most High will overshadow you. And because of that, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I can only imagine for the rest of Mary's days, whenever she thought of or heard anybody mention angel, she remembered this conversation because it was more than life-changing. I put this on the screen. The angel gave Mary a revelation because Mary needed to know what was about to happen. It was information that she did not have. Some big things were about to happen to her, and she needed to know what to expect. I mean, think about it. We know the story, but this is brand new news to her. Some big things were about to happen. If there's ever a circumstance where they needed to be explained, this was it. A virgin giving birth. This was miraculous. No wonder it needed this divine revelation. And we can understand that because when things don't make sense, we long for an explanation. We wish we could understand why or what's going on or why is this happening. In Mary's case, notice this angelic revelation came before the fact. The angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. That's why the angel says nothing is impossible with God. I'd imagine that we all have some moments when like Mary, we're in the middle of a situation and we're thinking, God, how can this be? Or maybe why is this happening? We're looking up to God for some kind of explanation. We need to know. We can't see the future. We can't see the big picture. All we can see is the circumstance in front of us and it's not making sense. Sometimes it's something good. 
Often it's something that's not good. And we turn to God wanting some kind of help. In moments like that, it's good to pause and remember there's a difference between God causing something and God allowing something. The prince of darkness would temper, who temporarily rules this world loves to upset things, to hurt people, to tear things apart. But God is a loving father who longs to give good gifts to his children and can take even the worst of Satan's intentions and use those for good, for his plan. For you, maybe you had your heart set on a certain college, or maybe grad school, or a dream job, but that was not to be. Or maybe you just knew that relationship would lead to marriage, but it didn't. Or maybe you thought your kids or grandkids would come for Thanksgiving, but with their schedules and limited resources, they didn't come. And you think, why? Where are you, Lord? How can this be? In moments like these, it looks like that backside of the tapestry where it's knots entangled, and we're trying to see the picture. We're trying to understand what it all looks like. Faith helps us to remember that God is in control. God knows exactly what he is doing. And while you may only see those jumbled threads, God has a plan. Nothing is impossible with God. Well, there's another one, another angelic visitor, and that was to Joseph. Let's look at that one the way Matthew recorded it. Matthew doesn't share the name, so we don't know if it's Gabriel, the same one that appeared to Mary. But regardless, the message has now to come to Joseph. Joseph also needs to. He's not going to carry the baby. We know that. But he's definitely involved in this process. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill that the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In that passage, I want to call your attention to a phrase, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. The angel gave Joseph exactly what he needed, and that was a confirmation. She gave Mary a revelation, but for Joseph, it was a confirmation that Mary's story was believable. It was true. He believed that what was happening was the result of Mary's faithfulness to God, not Mary's unfaithfulness to him. We know the rest of the story. We know the big story here. We've got that advantage here. But think about it. If you were Joseph, at that moment. If we're brutally honest, we don't know how we would have responded. You are engaged to this woman to be married. You're saving it for marriage. You're doing everything you're supposed to do. 
Now you discover she's pregnant. You know you're not the father. What are you to believe? He had to be devastated. It's hard to predict. It's hard to say, well, I know what I would do. I don't know that we do know what we would do. He had to be devastated. The Bible does tell us that Joseph wasn't vindictive. He wasn't vengeful. He obviously loved Mary. He was going to do this privately. He didn't want to publicly shame her, although he could have. But he didn't want to do that. Basically, Joseph gave up his reputation in trying to save hers. Is it any wonder when you think about really the detail of what's happening here, why God chose not only but Mary but Joseph to be the ones to bring up his son? But if you think about it, that even that high road that Joseph was going to take to, to do this quietly, even that would have thwarted God's plan. It couldn't go that way. So God had to intervene. He sends an angel to share this message with Joseph. God wanted Joseph to understand what Mary was telling him was the truth. God was at work unfolding his plan. And again, the application. Have you ever been there? Maybe life threw you a curveball. Maybe like Mary, you're thinking, how can this be? Or maybe like, like, like Joseph is like, this is not my doing. Had nothing to do with this. So confused. I'm playing by the rules, God. I'm, I'm obeying you. And yet this is happening to me. Devastating news. Maybe for you, it was something like a, a, a friend that, that betrayed you or disappointed you. Or maybe you got a pink slip especially during the holidays. I've thought about all the GM employees and what they must be thinking across the country. Maybe it's a rebellious teen making poor choices. Maybe it's a physical illness that's been going on for so long that now it's a mental struggle and maybe even a, a spiritual struggle. When we're in the middle of adversity or that season of hurt and pain, it is difficult to realize that God is at work unfolding his plan especially when we can't see that tapestry from his perspective. I've told you before, and I think you've probably heard about Joni Erickson Tata, a young woman of uh, amazing faith. Earlier in her life, she became a quadriplegic as a result of a diving accident. She suffered for years and years with pain, bound to a wheelchair. But after many decades... She came to a realization, and she even said that she wanted, she wanted to take her wheelchair with her to heaven. Have you heard this? Let me share some of her words. What I want to do when I get to heaven is to take my really old, clunky, dusty, big, bulky wheelchair that I've got at home because it's so yucky, greasy, grimy, dusty, and dirty. And I know it's not theologically correct to take a wheelchair to heaven, but if I could, I would. I would. Because when I get my resurrected body, and soon after I've gotten up off my grateful, glorified knees, I'm going to stand next to Jesus, and I will say, Lord Jesus, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said, in this world, you will have trouble. Because I tell you what, that thing was a lot of trouble. But Lord Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. And I just don't think I would have realized the depth and the wonder and the joy and the peace and the amazement of your grace were it not for that awful thing. And I 
just wanted you to have it up here with you so that I can tell you thank you for the gift that you gave me of living more than three and a half decades in that wheelchair that I might come to feel the nearness of you and know your sweetness and the fragrance of your sustaining power and peace and perspective. And now you can send it to hell. And then she said, that's not the Bible either. That's probably not theologically sound either. But I read those words and I thought, what an attitude to be in such a difficult circumstance and to allow that difficult circumstance to cause her to experience God in a deeper way. Luke's gospel tells us about a few people who were a part of Jesus coming to this earth, like Anna. Do you remember Anna? Anna was a widow after only seven years of marriage. And what we know about her, she lived at the temple, worshiped God day and night. And at 84 years of age, think about that. A widow after seven years of marriage, now 84 years of age, she has the joy of seeing the long-awaited Messiah come to the temple. We can question God's plan and timing any day of the year, but I think holidays can be especially challenging for people. You're not thinking of holiday cheer. You're wanting to be over with. Bring on January. May I encourage you to remember God is working in your life. There's a verse you already know, Romans 8, 28, that speaks about this, how God works even in those times. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In his book, Second Guessing God, Hanging On When You Can't See His Plan, Brian Jones writes these words. Notice two things in this verse. First, God works in all things. Second, he's always working upstream for our good. Nothing ever happens to us that doesn't ultimately accomplish God's goals for our lives. God's providence means he's always working behind the scenes outside of our view to provide us with something even when we don't understand what's happening at the time. From our earthly perspective, all we can see is the underside. But from God's perspective, he knows, he sees how it's all coming together. Let's look at one more angelic visit. It occurs the night that Jesus was born. God uses an angel once again. But instead of telling the good news about the birth of his son to people of power, people in politics, people of wealth, people of fame, he doesn't do that. God sends his angel to poor Every day, we would say blue-collar workers out in the field, the shepherds. This account is in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 8 and following. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel, angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. 
When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. Isn't it interesting that the announcement of the Messiah's arrival was first shared to common and everyday laborers in the field? See, Mary received a message of revelation. For Joseph, it was a confirmation that what Mary was saying was true. But for the shepherds here, they received a message of celebration. It was good news. Jesus was born. And at first, they're afraid. Just to see an angel was enough to scare them, and we understand that. But their fear turned into celebration. And the shepherds didn't realize it, but God had been working upstream. This had been going on. This was the land from day one. Reader's Digest published an article that said this. Some say everyday miracles are predestined. Time and distance do not matter. All that's necessary is readiness, the right circumstances for the appointed encounter. Let me tell you the story. There's about 11-year-old Kevin Stephen. He was volunteering to be the bat boy for his younger brother's baseball team. So he's out there nearby, and there's a little boy who's getting ready to, to go to bat, and he pulls the back the bat back as fast, as hard as that little boy could, and he hit little Kevin, little 11-year-old Kevin, square in the chest, stopped his heart. Kevin collapsed. Everybody was in shock. The mother of one of the players rushed out into the, uh, from the stands to help him, Penny Brown was her name. She was a nurse. She was scheduled to work that day. But last minute change, she, she had that day off. So she was in the stands there watching her little boy play ball. But now this moment, so she rushes to his aid, bent over this unconscious boy, administers CPR, does the chest compressions. And little Kevin comes back. Everybody was so excited. It's a, it was a good thing for a good kid. Because Kevin was a good kid. He was a Boy Scout. He, he continued with Scouts and became an Eagle Scout. He became a volunteer junior firefighter, learning some of those same life-saving techniques that had been used on him. He studied hard in school. He wanted to go to college, so he was working as a dishwasher at a restaurant trying to save his money. He liked pe people. He liked his job, even though most days it was just very routine, very mundane, until... January 27th, 2006, Kevin, now 17, working in the kitchen, just doing his job, hears screaming coming in from the dining room. Everybody rushes in to see the confusion, what's going on. There's a woman who's strangling. She can't breathe. Kevin knows what to do. He goes up, puts his arm around her, does the Heimlich maneuver, just as he's been trained. That lodge of food that was stuck in the woman's throat comes free. Her color comes back. Guess who the woman was? Penny Brown. Don't you know, in that moment, there was a lot of celebration. Coincidence? Providence? I don't know, but someone, was, someone said this, that Kevin was saved to save. And that stuck with me. Because you and I have been saved to save. Just like these angels we read about today who told the shepherds 
The Bible says there, they made it known. They couldn't keep it to themselves. We have been saved to save. The shepherds were stuck in a routine. You might even say dull, boring routine of just caring for the sheep. And some days life is that way. You're just going to another ball game for your son. You're just going to work to wash dishes. You're just, just trying to get through the day. Just another day. Or is it? God specializes in taking what appears to be the mundane and turning it into something that makes a difference. Sometimes it's even monumental. And like Mary or Joseph or the shepherds, you may think you're just living your life, minding your own business, trying to do what God tells you to do, pretty routine. And then life may throw you a curveball. I don't think this message is going to be communicated to you by an angel, so I don't think you should expect that. But I want to make sure everybody who's hearing this message that you know this, because this is true for you. God is still unfolding his plan. And what God wants you to know is that the creator of the universe loves you and that you are a part of this plan. As Brad mentions, he wants you to be a part of his story. He made you. He wants you to be with him forever. Ever. God knows your shortcomings. He knows your failures. He knows your sins. And he loves you anyway so much that he sent, sent his son to die for you. That's the message from heaven. You don't have to wait for an angel. That's what scripture tells us. Through his birth, death, and the wonderful life of his son, you can be with God. You can be saved. Look at Galatians 4, 4 through 5, our last verse. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. This morning, God wants you to be his son, to be his daughter, to be adopted, and he gave his son so that you could have that privilege. And our song of invitation is to invite you to confess your faith that you believe Jesus is the son of God. Let him make you a new creation in baptism. Wash your sins away. Give you the gift of his spirit. Seal you so that you can look forward to his coming again. Or if we can pray for you, that every day that you live will bring glory and honor to him. Won't you come as we sing?